Welcome everybody to All Things Wolf and Wild. I'm your host, Kim Bean, and tonight is the uh, second half of the interview with Paula Ficaro and Steve Wastel from Apex Protection Project. You're in for a big treat tonight. We're going to talk about the rescues that they've made of wolf, wolf dogs, what it's like to have these types of animals, and we're also going to talk about um, what it was like to get to know the trapping practices in Montana by kind of infiltrating the trapping areas down there. So you're in for some laughter and a little bit of spookiness, but all in all, it's what the reality of trapping is. So sit back, relax, and here we go. Right? We're, we're talking about advocacy and education. You also have a rescue, and, you know, we obviously hit upon it with Betsy as far as the, uh, the rescue that you guys took place in there. You literally rescued what was it, 180 dogs something like that 185 185 yeah. and steve my god <laughs> um you know that was the high desert wolf rescue um yeah you know we talked um just as you guys were really really pushing through this um actually in yellowstone and you guys were exhausted and you were working your tails to the bone and it was crazy and you know you were talking about literally being, you know, pretty much up to your knees in feces in some cases with some yeah. of these animals, and yet you did it with a very loving and kind heart with somebody who most people probably would have, you know, just been beyond angry with. And so, you know, I don't necessarily, you know, we can obviously get into um, the ins and outs of what happened, but... That was huge, and that was unprecedented. Um, I would be impressed to find anybody out there that actually did that like you guys did. I can't even fathom um, what that was like. Well, let's, um, you know, let's start by saying, you know, this this whole event, um, you know, Paul and I had heard about someone for a long time. Um, we've been in rescue for quite a while, and we had uh, a year before toyed with or talked about trying to help, but it was such a massive endeavor. That endeavor it, it, that when we realized how much it was actually going to cost, yeah, we we just decided that you know this is not something that we're probably capable of doing. So I have to say, you know, I think we have to say, you know. If it wasn't for for Betsy Klein and her um, incredible tenacious attitude and strength to to take this on, we probably never would have done it. And and one of the things that I personally learned from Betsy, because you know when you've been in rescue for a long time, you get a little bitter. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you know you just sometimes you know there's a, there's a lot of people in rescue including us that just you're just like ah i can't do this anymore you know i can't but but betsy came in with this you know and yes she was she was kind of green at the time and and but she had this attitude that really made paula and i go we're in because yeah. it for betsy and and for us too but she had to re-remind us i think it's about the animals. It's all about the animals. Not and, about the people. And so, you know, I personally went there, and only we, we decided to jump in because Betsy 
said, I'm doing it. And we were like, okay, we got your back. We're going to do it too. And she was the fearless leader through all this. And she took a lot of heat. And yeah. she still takes about- a lot of heat. Yeah, she talked about it and her thing. But we were we were boots on the ground for the most part. Paula was was the uh, holding down the fort here and also up every single night, you know, making calls, trying to get bets, trying to get this, you know, and kind of running the, the, the ship here. And Betsy was running... And and Susan Whitedell were really running the ins and outs of Susan Whitedell is from Wolf, Colorado, yeah, Wolf, Colorado. And the sanctuary out there, and she is the rescue coordinator of our entire rescue network that we work with. She's so amazing. She she and Betsy were pretty much the captains of this of this. <laughs> so we agreed to be boots on the ground and and you know do the rescue. Um, you know, as we probably pulled. I think I think I captured about. 50 of those, 50 or 60 of those animals. I didn't transport all of them, but we transported quite a few of them. Um, but originally, I went out there um, just to do a count of the animals and try and videotape. Well, and you took a whole pallet. How many pallets of food did you yeah, we, we that took, were donated? We got um, a bunch of food donated, and yeah. we put a bunch of food up there. And I went up there wanting to hate Debbie because in the rescue world, she's not popular. Um, and she, you know, she's she's a character, and she's gone through a lot. Um, now Debbie's the one that owns there, the, that owned the high desert. Zone. Yeah, she was the one that was being shut down. She was being right. shut down by the county, and they were going to come in and kill all the animals. And and like I said, you know, it was an unbelievably impossible thing to do. But Betsy, when Betsy gets into something, you know. She gets it done. She gets it done. Yeah, and, there's no doubt about and, that. And you know, we are we love those guys so much that we're looking what we're in. We're gonna do it soon. So we went out there and, and I met Debbie and you know, I didn't hate her and and slowly but surely I started to see how she got into this mess and you know, at one time she did start out as a rescuer and, and no matter what anyone says about her, you know, people's lives go in directions that you don't expect to go in. And, you know, I know there's people out there that would probably be like, she's just an evil person, but, you know, she's not. And, and she's she she's had a, a, a rough go of it, and she's done some bad things and not some, you know, she's not like the best person in the world, but neither are any of us. So when I got out there, I ended up, you know, kind of liking her and, and wanting to help, and I think she really needed help at this point. There's been times when she said she wanted help, and and she messed up. But this particular time, and and part of it is because Betsy really talked to her every single day, and and really kept her word. And so Debbie kept her word, and she helped all, all along the way. So we went out there to count and label. And you were categorizing. You were categorizing yeah. like who was going to be fit to be rescued and going to a home. And quite honestly, I came back, even with the experience that I've had at that point, I came back with a list of about 20 that I thought were rehomeable. But it turned out that, you know, there was more than that. And there's a lot more success stories out of that than, you know, we ever imagined. And so we went out once with with, with a truck full of food we dropped it off, and we counted all the animals, and we videotaped them all, and I tried the best I could to catalog them. So many, <sighs> um, you know, labeling them and, <laughs> and the puppies fact, dropping. Oh my god! As time progressed, we had, like more and more animals were being discovered because there were just so many of them 
that they would be down in these deep dens and mm-hmm. Steve wouldn't have seen them. And the next thing you know, oh, there's four more in that in that enclosure that we didn't even know were there. <laughs> they were crawling down into these dens. Breeding with each other. And, yeah. and the problem that had been with rescuers in the past is, you know, they would take four or five or six and then 20 more were being born like two days later. So oh it was just, so the first thing that, you know, the, the plan uh, was to take all of the puppies and all of the pregnant moms and get them out of there as fast as we could. And how many were um, there, so, the pregnant moms and puppies? Well, at the time, there was there was nine. Um, I took 27 pups and nine moms, I think. Some were pregnant, some, pregnant. some had already yeah. given birth. Um, there was there was uh, ultimately a few more after I left. Um, so we got all those out, and that was a 700-mile journey to Sedona to drop them off. And that's where Ryder came from. Um, she was on the first transport, and uh, she had been attacked by her mom, and her mom had killed two of her litter, and she kept two. And sometimes, you know, animals under a lot of stress, they, they do that. Um, because they can't manage the entire litter, and, and little Ryder had survived. It turned out she also had parvo. Um, we didn't know that, um, and she was separated in the back. We have a an RV that's retrofitted with kennels, um, so we could fit all of them in there. And uh, we took a cinematographer to film all of this because we knew that it would, you know, we want the footage. And uh, she, little Ryder was in the back. And she was she was separate from her from her mom because she couldn't be with them because we were afraid that her mom would try to attack her and she had two big holes in her neck and mm. and she was doing this little baby howl from the back of the RV and uh, and the cinematographer that was with us was like, I can't stand it I can't stand it she's got to come up front with us she's got to come up front so she ended up sitting in the cinematographer's lap the entire way which is why <laughs> we have not much footage of Ryder when she was little <laughs> because she was sitting in her lap you can actually and, see um, the picture of Ryder if you go to their uh, uh, web page yeah. and go to uh, click on the high desert uh, wolf rescue because you'll know who she is <laughs> so so that was the first journey um, and then uh, we were waiting for um, we were waiting for 12 more to come from another transporter, um, and so I stayed in Sedona and waited for them to come. And these these really good-willed people who who had really wanted to take these animals and had built these enclosures um, ready to take them. Um, when I arrived, I said, "Well, let me go over and I'll stay a couple of days." I sent my team home and I said, "I'll stay and wait for the others to come and help get them settled." and uh, I went over to the place where they built the enclosures, and as much as these people really tried, um, the enclosures were just not fit for these kind of animals. Mm. Um, they they were, you know, they just were not fit for them. And, and so Timon and I spent the whole day and evening trying to reinforce every enclosure. But needless to say, um, the the twelve showed up. And as we unloaded them into the kennels, I knew that when I went to bed that night, it was not going to be good. I had planned to stay longer to help build, but they were already here. And in the middle of the night, I get a phone call. They're getting out. They're escaping. They're jumping into each other's enclosures. And so (laughs) we went running over there first thing in the morning, and there was no way we were going to be able to reinforce these enclosures. They needed to be completely rebuilt. So we ended up having to take the animals all the way to... um, Ohio, 
which is a 35-hour drive <laughs> straight oh um, without sleeping. So Timon and I, oh, my God, he was amazing. We were literally, it got to the point where we were doing half-hour naps while the other one drove until we got them there. Oh and uh, Timon, look at that point, I I had planned just to drive to Sedona, drop up these animals and fly home. And uh, at that point, Timon was like, you fly home, I'll drive the truck back. And uh, so that was that was a massively epic journey. You have to remember, at the same time, we're having to coordinate vets with exotic animal experience to go up. And, and this place is in the middle of nowhere. So we had to find vets we had to, that, were, that had the time to do it and the expertise. And then we had to either fly them up there. Well, we actually did fly fly them up there. We had to gather vaccinations for all of these animals to get them vaccinated. And then um, they had to get up there and be able to vaccinate all of the pups, right? Yeah. We had one girl. Um, she was flying in from California. She was flying from California up, up there and up to Northern California, from Los Angeles, sorry. And we had gotten one of our one of our the, well, the the healthcare manager of the Apex Pack, Chelsea Schaefer, is a vet tech, and she had gotten all the um, the, the answer, all the um, vaccinations. Yeah. Um, she'd gotten them all uh, for free, donated, donated from oh, where she works, the hospital, awesome. uh, Metropolitan Animal Specialty. Hospital. She had actually brought them to us up here in Acton, and the woman was actually living actually near the vet clinic and she was flying out the next day at like 6 30 in the morning 6 in the morning so we said to chelsea can you take these back and drop them off at this at, the, at her house anyway chelsea went to her house and she noticed that the lights were off so she decided just to take them to her clinic because she didn't want to wake her up so we get a phone call at like, like 5 30 in the morning this woman's morning. freaking out She's, where are the so we had to get in touch with Chelsea as fast as possible. She's like, they're at the hospital. So this woman had to get in an Uber, go over to the hospital, pick up the vax in order to get to her, her the airport so she could catch her flight in time. And not only that, to... they lost the bag. They lost the bag. Yeah. yeah. So she arrives ready to go upstate and she can't get the vaccination. So she has to wait. So by the time she gets, they fly, you know, the bag was like, uh, what airport was it? Oh God, I don't remember, but it was really bad. Reno. Reno. So Reno. they had to fly into Reno, and then they had to drive there. But the bags went on to somewhere else, so she didn't have the vaccinations. <laughs> so by the time she got up there, she's she only able to, to vaccinate some yeah. of them. So then we had to find another vet, and we found another vet from Oregon who was willing to fly out there and continue with the vaccinations. And so we flew her out to do it. She got it all Meanwhile, done. Meanwhile, Bessie's fundraising trying to pay for all this. And she's like, you know, because they're, they, you know, we have to fly everybody and it's just costing a fortune. <laughs> and then we finally found. Oh, and then the vax got lost at one point on the property. Yeah. So when the new vet showed up, she didn't know where they were. So we, but luckily she found a nut. I don't I, It was just a Everything nightmare. that could go wrong, it did go wrong. Every then, step of the way. We finally found this great guy called, um, he was a mobile vet, um, Dakota, and I called him Edward Scissorhands because I've never seen so many <laughs> males neutered in such a short time. And, you know, I've seen more neuters than any man should ever have to see <laughs> who's not a we'll, vet. We'll leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, but literally, we were we were running around because you got to remember, these animals don't know they're being rescued. 
And they're and, feral. And they're feral. So they don't want to be caught. And I got to yeah. tell you, I literally had P- PTSD for a long time after. You know, I mean, some I learned a lot. I mean, I've captured animals, you know, a bunch of times, but not like this. And I eventually stopped using a catch pole because I felt it was a better way to do it, a more calm, gentle way to do it. But um, it was just incredibly insane. I mean, these animals were just wild, jumping around. In videos, there's so many videos that, you know, we didn't even put out there of of trying, just trying to catch these animals. So we would catch them enough to, to give them an injection. And then we would do three at a time, and we would wait until they would, went down. And then we would carry him to the thing, and he would take him in there, snip, snip, snip. And and they would be they would be neutered, and then they would be loaded into the RV, ready to go. And and so you know the second time, third time we went up there, um, we were literally um, you know catching, darting, snipping, loading, and you know pulling puppies out of holes. I mean there's a video somewhere on one of our YouTube channels of you can kind of see how deep the hole is. I mean, we could not reach the puppies. They were way, way, way down in the hole, just trying to find every single one of them just to get them off the property. And it was just, it was insane. They went all over the country, these animals. And we were working within a 30-day time limit. Um, Originally, we were only given six days. Right. And so I think for those six days, none of us brushed our teeth or even, like, changed out of our pajamas. Um, We were just, like, sitting in front of the computer, and we were all just working as hard as we could, and we managed to rescue, to get 40 off of the property, and that's when Betsy was able to go in front of a judge at a hearing, and say, oh, whatever it was, and say, hey, this is what we've been able to accomplish in six days, give us more time, and she did grant us 30 days to do it. Yeah, and long story awesome. short, they, they all got off the property. Um, Betsy um, is still dealing, and, and Susan, with some of these animals. I personally have taken one from a foster and moved him to another place up in Northern California where he's just blossomed Um, because some of the places that we took them when we got them there we realized that these people were not they were not equipped to have these kind of animals and and so there's been a lot of you know we had to do it fast because we didn't have a lot of time so yes there was you know there was a lot of mistakes made in where they went some of the times and then some of them you know, had to be moved. And, and still, there are still some that are being moved. And, and Betsy has been still dealing with this for it's a year and a half now. It's a long time. Um, but the good news is, you know, all of them are safe. Um, and we went back to the property um, with my buddy Ken, who's one of our volunteers. We were going up there um, for a different reason. And and one of the, the the females was still running around loose on the property and animal controllers said if if you know there's any animals that are not due to the spade on this property because she was allowed to keep I think 25 but she had about 20 um, if if any of them were loose um, they you know they would put them to sleep so we went up there and, and darted the last one not too long ago well, kind of a Started her, got her spade. Got her spade, and just in the nick of time, because then they shut up. What two yeah. days later, or something like that. But now it's like amazing, and now as as Betsy said in her interview, you know, Debbie is actually helping neighbors that were having, you know, there's a lot of people up there that kind of rescue and do that kind of thing, and they've gotten themselves into trouble, and she's now helping other people 
um, when we went up there to to dart the last animal, um, uh, she took us out for breakfast. We sat wow. and, and chatted. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting conversation, but um, yeah, I mean, she was kind of a changed lady, and very different than the first time I went. Um, just a lot lighter and was willing to and she's she's complied with the law and she just does a few animals that are now just some of the older ones that she wanted to keep and some that she was close to um because she really she really changed and you know it's it's people can say what they say about her but you know she actually really tried to help and and get these animals to safety and and has stayed compliant the whole time. So, and all of that, I mean, really is due to, I think, you know, is due to Bessie Klein. I mean, and, and the way that she, she dealt with this situation. I think, you know, with this, this gal, Debbie, you know, all, what is that? All, all good roads, you know, all, all good. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That, you know, she, she is uh, paid with good intentions. I think that, you know, we all start out sometimes and then it just, got out of control and at that point yeah. she but also she, she's a little bit you know she's a hoarder and hoarding is is a legitimate illness yeah. you know that yeah. has to be recognized and you can't you can't really you can't really judge someone for for that as you know just try to help them that needs to be cared for you need, yeah. yeah yeah absolutely you know i think that um that's a great example the high desert is a great example um, of again, what people think that it's going to be, you know, I want to rescue animals. I want to be able to do, you know, that's a beautiful sentiment, Mm -hmm. but it actually, it's, it's a lot more work and it's, it's a, there's more to it than just rescuing, putting them in cages and feeding them every day. It's a lot. And they, you know, rescuing as you guys did it, it's a rescue it's a medical, it's finding a good home, it's training, it's all of these things. So it's not something to take lightly. And, um, you know, no, that's... And, yeah, people, people have the best intentions, but but you've got to be able to give them a better life than the place that you rescued them from. Absolutely. And if, if you can't do that, you know, and then I know a lot of people really, really care about animals and they want them all to be alive. But being alive in a tiny little cage is not really being alive. That's not living. Um, and that's why we're not as big as we, you know, one day, if we have the funding, we'll be bigger. But you've got to be able to give these animals, one, the space, you know, the, the socialization, the food, the medical attention, everything that they need. You have to be able to provide that if you're going to be a rescue. And they have to be happy. Otherwise, what's the point in rescuing them? You All know? you've done is take them from one place to another, and it's still and the same. Yeah, another one. Right. Yeah. And you guys, you know, you get your you get your uh, your pack out. They go run. They run out. They are all off play. leash, which is that's amazing. amazing yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So when we talk about rescues as well, there's a difference between rescuing dogs, rescuing wolf dogs. They're two mm-hmm. very different animals. Mm-hmm. And the biggest problem with wolf dogs is that most of the places in the country, uh, most states, I should say, in the country, you can't do that. And you can't just take them to a shelter and say, this was too much because it just chewed through my door, chewed through my wall, ripped up my carpet. You know, they're not an apartment kind of animal. 
So, um, you know, it's definitely different um, owning um, wolf dogs. And, you know, I have my feelings and my thoughts about um, owning them. And I think that it's a very special, a a very special um, kind of thing. Um, Like I wouldn't simply because I don't feel I have the property nor the, you know, I don't have what it would take, I don't think, to, to do that with, you know, a backyard. It's not enough in my opinion. So... What does it take to own a wolf dog? What does it take to 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 have one in your life? Let alone well, first of all, eight. you don't ever own exactly. a wolf dog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're incredibly intelligent beings, and if anything, they own you. Yeah. And and whether we believe that that um, you know bringing a wolf dog into your family as a companion is is the right thing or the wrong thing, it doesn't matter. They they exist, mm-hmm. and and some people are very successful in, in being able to provide them the right home uh, with the right, you know, everything that you need to be able to give them. Um, and some people don't know what they're getting themselves into, and it turns into a bit of a problem, and that's that's where we step in. Um, yeah, I mean, and it is a problem because so many people want them right now, especially because it's like, Game of Thrones, right. you know, and they think it would be romantic and a connection and exciting and all of these things, but it's also incredibly difficult. Um, these guys are are highly intelligent. They think for themselves. They don't have the need to please you like a domestic dog does. So training is is really not. I say training is out of the question. It's more about coming to an agreement. Um, <laughs> but it is. And, yeah. and what, that, what, what that entails is building a relationship of trust and respect. And once you've got that trust and respect and you, you have a deep relationship with this particular being, then, like with another human being, if you ask them to do something, they'll comply because they care about you and, and you have this relationship, not because they have this you know, just innate need to please like our domestic friends dog friends but um you know it's just they are you have to have the right containment the right lifestyle the right temperament you have no life steve and i when's the last time we've gone on a real vacation mm. like a real one Never. no <laughs> and and you know it's like literally having a three-year-old toddler for for its entire life and, and they're very needy because they're pack animals, um, they need lots of exercise, and if you can't give that to them, then it comes out in other ways, like destroying your house. Um, there are just so many things. They're escape artists. They need proper containment, and um, they have a lot of needs. In order to have a well-balanced wolf dog in your life that you're, care- that you're the caretaker for, there are a lot of sacrifices to your normal human life that you have to make, and it's really hard. And some people are willing to do that, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, making an animal illegal is probably not the right thing to do either. Because people still buy them, they end up on the black market and whatever. And then they don't get the vet care that they need in an emergency so, because yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. they don't want to get in trouble, right, for owning one. So there definitely should be some kind of regulation, and people should really think. So you know, we we work with a lot of people these days who've either got one by mistake because um, they rescued an animal it turns out it's got some wolf in it or or they went out and bought one and and they are stuck and some people are not willing to just throw them aside but a lot of people are yeah. Um, yeah. you know the ones that are really willing to try we've been coaching 
um, talking to them on the phone. And, and we'd much rather do that. We'd much rather yeah, have people having problems with their wolf dogs calling and asking for support for coaching than giving up on them because the minute you give up on them and they go into the system, that's a dead animal unless a sanctuary can pull them. I mean, it becomes very difficult. They, you know, at least in California, you're not allowed to adopt uh, a wolf dog that's in a shelter out to just a normal person from the general public. They have to go to, you know, be pulled by a licensed sanctuary and it's much harder. So many times they are euthanized. And here's the thing. I, I guarantee there's, there are hundreds of people on Instagram and Facebook that take beautiful pictures with their big wolfy dogs. Yeah. Um, and it looks really glamorous and it looks really exciting and people may want to buy one. But I guarantee you 100% that every one of those people, if they were being honest, would say their life is not the same. It's a very different commitment. It's not like having a dog. And a dog is a big enough commitment. You know, dogs can behave badly too, and they can destroy your house if they're not getting exercise. They can do all those kind of things. But a wolf can do it times 10, yeah. right, for a wolf dog. I mean, yeah. it's, it's and, and they have other things that go along with them, skittish. They don't really bond with your friends. They bond with you. They're not friends with everybody. You know, they're afraid of lots of things, flags, things that fly in the air, you know, all kind. they all have different things like that. They're wild animals. So, so no matter how many pretty pictures you see of these people, these people have made a commitment. I guarantee they probably don't go on vacation. You can't board them. Your friend can't walk them. You um, can't meet friends out at like an outside cafe because there will be umbrellas and heat lamps. Well, and, you know, and you know, and some do, yeah. but 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 the majority, you know, are going through you know relatively difficult times. That the animal is peeing in your house way more than a regular dog is peeing in your house, probably up to two or three years, and sometimes more in Thor and Loki's case, because they're territorial. They mark. They're you know, they're they're just not. Or they destroy stuff. your entire purse, all of the belongings <laughs> right in morning. it, because you accidentally leave well, it out. Well, again, again, dogs can do that. So, <laughs> but in in a wolf dog's case, you have to always just go. That was my bad. They're a wolf dog. They're going to be destructive. You know, I mean, you have to forgive them. It's not, a, so it's not a disciplinarian you, aspect thing. You're not going to discipline them in a. Well, you can't because you, can't do you know, it. I mean. Hopefully, you you would never discipline an animal in a way that would damage them psychologically, Correct. but or physically. But with wolf dogs, especially, you know, they're so skittish. You have to be very careful not to break that trust because the minute you do, you have to rebuild that relationship over again many times. And and of course, we're we're generalizing here. Every situation is different. But if you were to yell or 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 scare the heck out of a wolf dog by trying to correct it, um. It may it may take months to get them to approach you again, so you have to be very delicate in the way you handle those situations. And what what I've personally found is disappointment works great. If you're just so disappointed in them, oh, that makes them feel like shit. <laughs> it makes them feel, and they, oh my god, they feel so bad. If you're just like, oh, what did you do? And just, oh my god, they can't take it. I have a border so collie that lab been... that does that, so I get it. Yeah, I can't. She's just, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> their yeah. little ears go back, yeah, and they look over. so guilty. Yeah. But, but back to my point: if we're if we're if we're really talking to people who are considering, you know, buying a wolf dog, I would say consider what your life is like. Are you willing to give up a lot of things? 
Are you willing to give up as many things as you would give up to have a child? Right. Because you you really have to put that kind of work into these animals. And, you know, you might see the occasional few people that wander around with them and they, they're really peaceful and they can lie in cafes and they're not dog aggressive and they're very quiet and they're, you know, they're just very doggy behaving. That is not, that is a rarity, you know. Or like the other day, someone showed us, a friend of ours showed us um, a picture of a woman she knows said she has a, a high content wolf dog, meaning that it's mostly wolf. And then she showed us the picture and it was a picture of a blue eyed Malamute. And so a lot of times there's just misinformation. And so if this woman is going around saying, this is my high content wolf dog and people go, oh, well, she's so calm and she's, she's so you know gentle and she sits when you eat at, at a restaurant. And then they go out and say, I think I want one. Next thing you know, they get a serious wolf dog they're in for a shock, you know. So there's also just a lot of misinformation out there that can that can be harmful to the animals in the end. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, there's a lot of animals in the pound right now that are not even or have very little wolf. We call them low nose, but someone's called them a wolf, and they're probably shepherd husky mix with minimal wolf content, if any. And unfortunately, they've been running around calling it a wolf or a wolf dog, and it ends up in the pound, and now it can't be adopted out because it has the wolf title. Um, so again, it's like, you know, people want to own, a, I don't know, a piece of the wild, or they feel like it's, you know, it would be really exciting. I would advise them, go go and volunteer. Volunteer, yeah. Come oh, volunteer here, you know, and, 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 and learn about them and be around them, but you don't need to take one home. Because ultimately, it may, may not work out unless you're really, really, really dedicated. So they're really not for most people, and they're really not, you know, the kind of pet that, you, you know, they're not a pet, first of all, like Paula said. They're a companion, and that comes with a lot of responsibility. So our advice would be, you know, go volunteer somewhere and, and learn about them. And then if you decide you want one... At least you're informed, and yeah. you, and you have a, have time to look at your own life and decide if it's appropriate or not. You know, and if you're in college, please, please, or you're about to go to college in two years, don't buy a wolf dog, because your mom and dad are not going to want to take care of it when you go to college. <laughs> <laughs> they it already happens raised their kids. Yeah, often. I was going to say this has obviously never happened to us before. No, it's so no, often it's like, come on, guys. Yeah, I think, think about it. You know, mom and dad just raised their kids. They're not going to raise anymore. And, and I think you, yeah. you said that perfectly. <laughs> that you know, these animals have, uh, you know, it's it's a three year old for the next however many years, and it's yeah, a, yeah. It's a and they live commitment. long lives. I mean, our experience has been a majority of uh, mid to late teens. We've had three live to twenty and twenty one. We know, well, gosh, Kelly out at Eagle Tail just lost his twenty four year old. Oh my so. gosh! Oh yeah, they can <laughs> far, live a long time. They can. A far cry from that of a wolf in the wild. So you know, oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. That's Big love. Time. That's kindness. That's being loved. That's. You know, and that safe, <laughs> safe, healthy food, vet, yeah. vet appointments, and, and no hunters. And that's <laughs> and nobody's hunting or trapping them. That's the yeah. biggest thing. So, well, I you know the rescue. You guys are doing amazing work with the rescue, and you know even just the single rescues, which there's some great stories as far as some of the single animals that you've rescued. They're not just this 
you know, great big 185 animal rescues, but every animal deserves to be saved, and you guys have been doing a great job. And, um, you. you know, you're just, you're amazing all the way around. Um, there's one thing that I have always wanted to sit down and talk to you about, Steve, especially on this one, and um, how it, you know, Miss Paula has handled this, but... You went into Montana on what I would call the trapping adventure of a lifetime for a, <laughs> for a city slicker feeling kind of in guy. A oh, in a bright red suit and right. a shiny white smile. So Did I, I get schooled? I yeah. Well, you know that'll happen. Um, mm. So I, to preface this, all I can say is, Steve, the actor, magician, bartender, guy, decides to get involved with going to Montana to kind of check out the trapping world. And mm -hmm. you do it looking like a puffy, a puffy Santa Claus from Joe. Yeah, from Joe Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, so on your funny. brand new, you know, four-wheel drive yeah, you, my Batmobile. you so did not fit into the ilk. So can you just no. really, how did that come, how did that come <laughs> about? So, um, yeah, that, that expedition has evolved over the years, but I was the uh, pioneer, I think. Um, I was the pioneer. Um, yeah, a, a good friend of ours, um, uh, Matt from Lockwood Animal Rescue here in California, uh, works with um, all of his staff are veterans. Um, I'm the only, I think, non-veteran that's worked for him, although Paula did work for him for a little while, too. So the two non-veterans. Um, you know, Matt and I have, have a really great relationship, and uh, he was uh, sending um, a couple of vets plus a filmmaker and out to Montana to... Well, really, we didn't know what we were going to do in the beginning. We well, he always had this dream of, like of like sending them to the front lines, sending veterans to the front lines of the of, to protect wolves, right? Wasn't that how he originated the concept? Yeah, but there was there was a lot of misinformation. I mean, what was happening out there, you know, in the beginning, I guess we just expected to see a bunch of people running around the woods just shooting at wolves all over <laughs> yeah. the place and we were we were going to stand between them. We were going to get in their way, you know. I don't think movie. we really knew what we were going to do when we got there. Um, in the meantime, I mean, it was a, it was pretty well funded expedition, and they had just bought this twenty five thousand um, dollar um, ATV, but instead of wheels, it had tank treads on it. Um, it was brand new. I mean, I, I, I sat on it in the store, and it was incredibly powerful and went super fast, and was just the most amazing machine. So that was my vehicle, and and the uh, I, I also had a bodyguard with me, uh, my good friend now, because he protected me a lot uh, out there. Um, Juan, and he was a he was a military sniper, and he was bringing an AR-15. So we did kind of expect we were going to run into trouble, but I don't think we really realized what kind of trouble we were going to run into. Um, and then we had Max, who was a cinematographer, who was um, this wonderful kid. He was about 
six foot two tall, like a bean pole, and he was gay, and he came from California. So, you know, you've got, and then and then we're all fitted out with like Patagonia stuff. <laughs> so I had this big red jumpsuit. You went in Carhartt, buddy. You already missed the boat right there. <laughs> and I have this green Patagonia jacket, and you know, um, he did not stand out. No, uh, no, not at all. And I'm, I've got this this mobile that this this vehicle that everybody. I mean, we had this 14 foot trailer, and we were supposed to blend in. So it gave us this old pickup truck that had been refurbished, this old um, Dodge pickup truck, and. And then he gave us this brand new camper on the back of it. So it was one of those that sit in the bed. So we had this brand new snowmobile vehicle that looked like a Batmobile. We had this brand new camper. We had California plates. We had this old truck because we're <laughs> blending, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we uh, we we learned a lot. Well, they were posing as documentary. And I was leading. I was leading the first. team. Um, and then part of this stuff is in a movie called The War in Between, um, and, and some of it's probably going to be used for something else. But so, yeah, so we set off on this journey, and you know, we're the first week we, st- uh, where did we stay the first week? I can't remember the name of the, oh, I probably shouldn't mention names of towns and places, but we were in Darby, Montana. <laughs> and, and just to, just to kind of fill people in who don't know Darby, Montana, I was at the Double Tree and we stayed at the Double Tree in uh, Missoula for the first couple of days. That's where we got settled. And I was talking to the bartender and I, I said, you know, I said, yeah, we're heading up down to uh, Darby, Montana. And she was like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you should not go there. Don't go there. Um, you know, so I'm like, well, okay. Anyway, so we get there, and the first place we camp out, you know, we're playing around in this fun snowmobile, and we're driving all over, and we're following wolf tracks, and we're, we're trying to interview people. No one wants to talk to us, of course, because everybody hates us, because we're crystal crunching Birkenstock wearing tree hugging Californians. And, um, you know, we like wolves and they don't. And, you know, honestly, Matt had sent me out there to really get footage and see what was going on out there. And, and my personal goal was was honestly to ask anybody I met that was killing wolves why they were doing it. Um, I really wanted to know why and, and to understand them. Um, and I really wanted to be fair and balanced. I, you know, I wanted to listen to, to what they thought and, and whether it was legitimate legitimate or not or whether it was just you know uneducated um but you know we found a whole new world that i didn't know existed and you know needless to say we had a lot of people a lot of death threats people after the first week we went to a different place that was deeper into the woods and we started bumping into like the real deal trappers that were actually baiting traps and doing things that were not legal um and you know, we started following them around a little bit. And then before we knew it, we were the ones being followed. And in the beginning, I tried to just pretend we were student filmmakers and, you know, thinking that people were not that smart and they wouldn't know, but they knew. <laughs> and of course, they have the internet, you know, it might be the backwoods. <laughs> they have Facebook and they have the internet yep. and they're, they're yep. pretty savvy and they're, you know, they're very aware of that and very, 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 very paranoid. Um, just asking questions got me labeled as an eco-terrorist within a few days. I mean, and within a month of being there, I changed from Joe Hollywood in a red jumpsuit that stood out like a sore thumb 
to like camo wearing bearded you know look like i was a wolf hunter you sent me a picture um, i was like oh my gosh who are you i changed a lot <laughs> in the past because we realized that you know the world is not what we thought it was yeah. um there's a lot of people out there that hate with a passion that's just deeper than anything i'd ever seen and not only that we're threatening our lives um it got to a point where we were stuck out in this this place um, and we were kind of snowed in for a while. We couldn't really move, and our phones didn't work out there. And I had to, you know, snowmobile out of there. And we stopped using the the monster, the the beast, as we called it, because guess what? It leaves tracks wherever you go in the snow. And it will lead no right one, to you. No one in Montana has one of these vehicles. So no. guess who was right next to my trap? You know, so it became so we had to go and get new snowmobiles and. Um, I ended up asking Matt to send another guy out there because as much as, you know, Juan was amazing and he had an AR-15 and he was, you know, literally staying up all night because people were popping into the woods and, you know, keeping us up all night and just kind of intimidating us and, you know, threatening us and different things like that. Um, You know, Juan was not a big guy and I really didn't want this to end up being a gun battle. And, And it was getting to the point where tensions were really high and we could not go anywhere every time we moved you know pickup trucks would show up in the middle of the night or snowmobiles depending on you know where we were and you know just threatening and different things and then um, were they coming up to you steve were they actually like were they just screaming from their vehicles or their snowmobiles or were they actually oh things in the middle of the night like we know where you are you know stuff like that people disappear out here you know, and I went up to a couple of people in the very beginning very naively and tried to talk to them, and they, you know, pretty much just told me to fuck off. And some people did interviews with us. Um, some people, actually, I've got a lot of footage of different people talking um, on, uh, you know, on camera about how much they hated wolves, and they were they were quite open about it. Um, crazy stories and all of that. And, and then some people were just, um, it got to the point where there's a specific person, I'm not going to mention his name on here, but he was the leader of kind of this group and uh, really not a nice guy. Um, started the Facebook pages were just crazy. I mean, literal death threats. I yeah. mean, the police were called at one point. They said they couldn't do anything because it wasn't on our page. It was on their page. And they said, well, at least we know who killed you wow. <laughs> if you die <laughs> was one of the lines wow. that they said. Um, we, we decided that it got to the point where I felt like our lives were in danger. And so I said, listen, we need to go up to Missoula for a couple of days, chill out. And, you know, the toilet was all frozen in the vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. we couldn't, we, it, we, we were, we were just, we made a little tent outside that, you know, we, that we use for the toilet and stuff like that. Um, but I was like, listen, you know, we need to fix the vehicle. Um, these people are threatening our lives. We need to get out of here. Something's going down, and I don't know what it is. It turns out, I didn't know because we didn't have Facebook at the time because we didn't have any service. I didn't know that the whole trapping world and, and you know, part of the hunting world, uh, not the legitimate hunters, but the other kind that kill everything that moves, um, had, you know, just started this whole campaign against us, and more and more people kept showing up and finding us no matter where we were. So, we drove up to Missoula, which was 75 miles away, and decided, you know, we were going to just get a couple of nights sleep, a shower, and, um, you know, I was so excited to get, like, a nice steak dinner and a glass of wine. 
soon as we got there, we started looking at Facebook, and they already had pictures of our trailer in the parking lot in Missoula. Oh, my and God. And the all of the They've Facebook world was, like, you. blowing up. Yeah, they knew exactly where within 20 minutes of arriving at the Doubletree, they had pictures of us posted on Facebook. Here they are, the eco-terrorists. Go get them. Let's have a blanket party. Oh, my God. Um, and so the whole bar ended up filled with like 30, 40 of these guys in camo. And so it got to the point where Juan and I was so mad. We're like, we're just going to go out there and punch him in the face. And Matt was on the <laughs> phone saying, do not engage, do not engage. And uh, so we couldn't go to the bar. I couldn't get my glass of wine. We ended up in our room and they're just taunting us on Facebook. Come out to the bar, come have a drink. You know, so we ended up, taking our, our our truck to be fixed at this huge camping store in, in Missoula. And uh, two days later, you know, we, we rented a car so people wouldn't recognize us driving around and picked up some more supplies ready to go back. And and we go to this camping, this, this RV place. And this guy, I see the guy that I've been talking to on the phone, I see him putting a camo jacket over the top of his suit as he he walks into the reception area to greet me and i'm like oh boy and he's like hey how you doing where are you where are you guys going and i'm like oh no we're you know trying to avoid all the questions he's like he's like uh he's like i was like yeah we were in derby because yeah i have some friends in derby and i'm like i bet you do and he's like, yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't like wolves. And I'm like, I bet they don't. And mm-hmm. so he's kind of taunting us and gives me this long handshake, pats me on the back and says, safe travels. Now, this guy's had our oh. RV, our thing, for like two days. So we don't know what's happened to it. And, you know, funnily enough, we get all the way back into the woods down in, in Derby that night. And, uh, and they had... Um, they'd unscrewed the bathroom door so that fell off and then they would poured antifreeze all over the floor so when we took our shoes off we were soaking with like stuff and then we opened the fridge and the fridge door fell off <laughs> I'm like <laughs> and i'm like i'm just laughing at this point i'm like watch out for the whoopee cushions because is this what so we don't know what else they did to it at the time and at the time that's when we met mark because mark actually told us to get off this get out of the backwoods and get onto his property for a while because he's like you're in danger there's a lot of stuff going around on the internet about you and people really want you dead right now there was pictures in the store in the gas station do not serve this guy you know it was just crazy and so all because you were being questioning about trapping yeah and and there was there was there was posts about me sticking guns out of the window and giving fingers to the old ladies as they drove by and just all kinds of crazy stuff i mean it was nuts the sheriff was trying to look for us um yeah it was a really interesting trip and you know, what I got out of it was, was a real education. I mean, I really learned what, you know, how divided we are on, on this subject because, Pete, you know, when I even tell parts of this story now because people go, why do people hate wolves? And I'm like, well, let me tell you, you know, because now I really know. And, and you know, in the beginning – you know, I felt like they had a legitimate argument, but then when I really looked at the facts, they really don't. And, and they, I mean, of course, you can't tell them that. They don't believe it. But, um, 
you know, even the ranchers who I do believe have a legitimate argument in some cases, you know, even they are trying to, you know, deal with the situation. I mean, they really are the ones that, that if wolves affect anyone, they affect ranchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's ways around that. And I'm not going to, you know, go into that too much, but, you know, but for the people that I met out there, they weren't really affected by the wolves in the way that they, they felt like they were, you know, they felt like the wolves were ruining their business. They felt like they were killing all the elk, you know, and then none of these facts are true. Um, you know, they're, the elk are moving differently. That's for sure. You, you have to really go out there and hunt. Yeah, they can't pocket you know, hunt anymore. They can't drive into their special yeah, area yeah, that I they mean, have for 30 years and know that there's a, you know, a big er, uh, uh, herd of elk. You know, now they're on the move. Yeah, so they're it's, healthier. It's, it's, an, it's not, you know, none of this is, is scientific fact, but when you live in a small town like that and that's all you hear, and that's when you get the few people that actually whisper to you that, you know, they, you know, one guy told me that, yeah, they blame the potholes in the road when the wolves are out here. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're a thing to blame. Um, but no one, no one who really hates them is really looking at the big picture. They, they hate them like they're vermin. Um, they call them vermin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. So, and then a lot of people don't know that or see that or understand that kind of hate. It's very difficult to understand until you really actually face to face with one of those people and you can see see the anger in their eyes and yeah there's there's a lot of hate yeah some of that hate is deafening it's it's frightening um you know yeah i mean i was you know there was times when i thought that i wasn't going to make it you know um and it's funny because i i was I'd never been in a situation where I felt like I might die before. And the funny thing was, I wasn't that afraid. I was more just, just like in shock and awe that people would be willing to possibly make me disappear in the woods for not really doing that much. Right. You know, just for asking questions um, and to being a threat to their, or questioning their way of life like we didn't even have a right to question. Um, it was really interesting. And, and again, you know, let me state that, that this is not Montana. This is certain parts of Montana. You know, the majority of people in Montana want wolves. Um, I mean, that's we need to get that fact straight, too. This is not people that just live in Montana. This is very specific people in very specific areas. The big hole um, of Montana, what they call the big hole, has a... You know, it's a very rural um, area, and we're talking, um, you know, people have had, um, you know, they've been there their whole lives, and and their parents' lives, and their grandparents' lives, you know, it goes back to that, you know, how many Yeah, and a lot of this is is passed down, because I talk to people, I talk to people that have been trying to find wolves and kill them their entire lives and never actually seen one. I mean, how crazy is that? You can live in a place like this where they hate wolves so much because they're decimating their way of life. But yet they've never seen they've one. Never actually seen one. I probably talked or let alone killed one. Yeah, I've probably talked to more people in my advocacy uh while I was in Montana. I probably talked more and by the end of the conversation of their, you know, their 
hatred. I mean, it's just literally blood-curdling, boiling hatred for these wolves that have done all these horrendous things. And, you know, there are these 200-pound wolves. I can, you know, it's a whole other conversation. But um, by the end of the conversation, I'm like, where have you seen them? When have you seen a wolf? Tell me when you've seen, where do you, you know, and I, well, I haven't ever seen one. I'm like, but you're, the, it's so ingrained. It's literally the kernel of their brain. And yeah, there's no. That's why I love when Carter them. does his speeches in those places, because Carter's seen a lot of wolves. And he knows a lot of, he knows everything yeah. about wolves. And he's, I, I, you can't dispute what Carter knows. And we're no. talking about Carter Niemeyer, um, you know. And he's probably, you know, one of the country's leading experts on wolves. I mean, he knows he's been out there for so long. So when he talks to these people and they come up with some of these facts, you know, I mean, you can't really argue with Carter, you know, because he knows. Yeah, and, so, and it doesn't help when it comes out of the, you know, the mouth of a guy his size, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not a little man. No, he's not. But, yeah, he's he's incredible, and he's got, he's got the... Uh, um, the information and he, you know, he knows it and he has no, he, he talks on both sides of that where it's like, yeah, they'll kill your cow if blah, 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 blah. And he'll lay it out. It's not like they're just opportunistic in that aspect, but yeah, Carter's great to have uh, talking in those rural areas. Um, but just to finish up the, the subject, I mean, Paula was here back home and you know, there was, there was threats coming towards us and stuff like that. You were getting so, threats back home. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, it was. I mean, to to, to just create, you know, intimidation and such. Yeah. But it was it was a little nerve wracking. I was definitely glad when they decided to come home. Uh, how long? It, I'm sorry. A please. month over over a month. They were five over weeks. Four. Okay, about five weeks. Yeah. And that was and solid. Came they home. came back <laughs> smelling so bad. I was like, oh, my God, each of you needs to get into the shower immediately and put all of your clothing in these garbage bags. <laughs> throwing this stuff out. I've never smelled anything so bad in my life. That's and what was so really funny. funny is I had this um, this body body gel in the shower called, like, stress-free, and it was, like, pepperminty, whatever. And, and it, it's kind of like... I just kept smelling the stress-free coming from the shower. Like, these guys definitely need to be free of some stress right now. It's oh really funny. Oh, my gosh. He left as Joe Hollywood, and he came back as, you know, Carhartt-wearing, you know, bearded grizzly man. It's incredible country, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, it really is, and it's beautiful. And 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 again, there there was we met some beautiful people out there, too, but we also met some... Uh, pretty scary people um and and when i say scary i mean more their point of view is scary it's just unbelievable what what they believe and what they you know the the way they live See. but i would definitely go back probably wouldn't let me go back on the next no, expedition because no, he's not too, allowed to go back it was too scary for yeah. her here yeah um and it's you know it's, it's calmed down a lot now um, but, you know, I mean, if you're going to be an advocate, you're going to deal with people that don't believe what you believe. And, and, you know, that's great for us. But when it involves the pack or putting them in danger, then then it's, it's something that we can't yeah. we can risk. You have to pick your battles and know when safety is no longer. Yeah, you can threaten my life. That's fine. But when you start threatening my family's life, then that's that's getting really crazy. 
So when you came back out of that and you got home and you took a shower and you threw away the clothes, thank you, well done on that one, Paula. What, what was what was the outcome? I mean, you spent five weeks gathering info or trying to, trying to, you know, keep your life safe. I mean, when you've got guys hanging out, you know, with with guns that are literally 24-7 trying to protect you. I mean, that in and of itself is, it, it sounds sensationalistic, but it was It does. It it's was crazy. literal. It, sound, it sounds like it sounds it really sounds like crazy. you're making it up. Yeah. You know? yeah but, but, <laughs> but I, I know when you you're out there and you realize, I mean, you know, that there's real danger. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, some of these guys will say, why is he carrying an AR-15? That's not a hunting rifle. And I'd like not for hunting. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason. Yeah. And, yeah. But, yeah, because they were, you know, they were very intimidating. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, we got back. The outcome really was, you know, the footage was not mine. It belonged to, to Matt. And they they used it for some teasers for different shows and different things that they were going to put on. And, and they've actually used um footage i don't think footage from that but they've, they've gone out there since and done some shooting um but it's a, a part of it is in a movie and it's a wonderful movie it's called the war in between it's um i'm not sure wonderful. if it's out for public release yet we saw it as screening in sedona we had sedona wolf week it's um, powerful it should be out now but it's it's a great movie you saw it right yeah it literally um, i was um yeah it was powerful it was yeah. powerful. Yeah, it's really about the diff uh, the the similarities between what veterans are going through and what wolves are going through. Um, you know, um, and it's a you know the how Matt and his veterans I see heal um, each other. Some of the wolves and some of the veterans get together and really kind of heal each other. It's a it's a pretty beautiful movie. It's it's pretty awesome, and you know, I mean, that was that was some dangerous stuff. And now that you can look back on it, um, and really, I mean, it's it's funny, you know, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's it's funny because it's ridiculous, right? Um, it's unbelievable. That we live in this crazy world, but yeah, it wasn't funny at the time. It's 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 funny now because we laugh at some of the stuff that we did and how stupid I looked in particular. <laughs> And how naive I was, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, it's really important to, you know, for me to at least explain to people, and then usually talk about it when people come here, you know, what is going on in this world and how real it is because people just don't, I didn't know. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know. No. I, most people wouldn't know. No. Um, so the fact that he went out there for the project but came back having been exposed to it and, and having a such a deeper understanding of what it is that we're fighting for um it, it just made our mission even stronger and gave us you know, that much more knowledge um still really shocking and hard to believe at times it's um, real it's every yeah, day yeah it is yeah, yeah. that's and i, I think Go ahead. Please. Go ahead. No, please. No, no, you go ahead. Ah, you stopped. <laughs> no, no, you. No, you. Okay. No, you. Um, yeah, I, I would love to go on a little trek with you guys. I think it would be a blast, personally. But you know. <laughs> oh yeah. I think Steve and I would get in, we'd get ourselves in a little bit of trouble, probably. Oh, so you guys have fun with that. Yeah. And, uh, I'll be here. I'll be here taking care of the pack. And you'll, you'll be sitting back with the stress-free soap for us, I'm assuming. And the garbage bag and for the your garbage clothing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you guys are awesome. I love and adore you. I think 
your work is unprecedented and it's just getting better. And um, I'm doing some, you know, um, series on, uh, on advocacy and, you know, how to be and that kind of a thing. And what I really would like to know is from everything that you've done and all your experiences, whether it's rescue and advocacy and all those things, if you were to walk up to somebody or somebody walked up to you and said, I, I want to be an advocate just like you, what would you tell them to do? How would you tell them to move forward? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? You go. I, I, it's easy for me. I would say use your voice. Um, say no. Um, I, w- I went back to England not too long ago and, and, uh, some of my old friends from high school were still friends, and we still talk about all the stuff that we used to do back in the day. That's all we really do, but it's really fun to see them. And one of them said to me, I feel sorry for you. And I said, why? And he said, because you're you're fighting a battle that you can't win. You're constantly fighting against people that want to kill or want to take over land and you're fighting against corporations and you're fighting against big money and you're fighting against all of this stuff. And I said, why are you sorry for me? I have a purpose, you know? And I said, what's your purpose? Do you have purpose? And he didn't really have a purpose, you know? Um, I said, because if, if we don't, every one of us, you know, dig our heels in for a second and say no, you know, then these people would take over. And yes, you know, it is one of those battles that goes back and forth and back and forth. And is it ever going to be one? Who knows? But if there aren't people saying no, then we just get taken over. It's all over, right? So I would say, say no. Use your voice. When you hear about things that are not right, whether it's signing a petition or writing a letter or making a phone call or just telling someone, that's something that you've learned. Just use your voice. Speak up. You know, it, it, it's easy, and it, 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 I wouldn't say it's easy. Okay, so it, it, it sounds easy, but it's not as intimidating as you would think to to make a phone call to the governor or the senator or whoever it is you're calling, just to say on a machine generally, you know, please don't pass that bill, because they listen. If enough people say no they will listen. So I think that's what I would say. It is just, you know, use your voice. Know that you, as a single person, have power because lots of single people make up a lot of people, and that's what really counts. Yeah, and I would even take it a step farther, which is um, I would say show up. You Mm -hmm. know, physically show up. You don't even need to. You know, I really encourage people to step outside of their comfort zone because if there was ever a time to, to be brave and and step outside of your comfort zone to save something that really means something to you, now is the time. So if there's a hearing in your town, go. Say a few words in, in defense of your belief. You know, I mean, be vocal, but, but be present. Show up. It, you know, I think that's even more powerful than making a phone call. And if that's all you do, I think that that is a lot. You know, I mean, we had a hearing here in California, in, in L.A., in Santa Monica, um, not too long ago. And I was really disappointed in in 
turnout. It was it was really poor. I, I couldn't believe that something that should be so important to all Americans, you know, there was a handful of people that that actually took the took the time and effort to show up. And um, I just think that you know we can't we can't pass the buck any longer and hope that our you know that that whatever we're hoping for will will happen we have to take action each one of us like steve said beautiful that's what i would say no more emojis i don't you know please uh-huh. don't like please don't like my angry post yeah. <laughs> and agree with me <laughs> yeah. yeah and and you know now when you sign one of those blanket petitions it's all counted as one anyway one signature, yeah. Unless you write something individual and send it yourself. Yes, blanket so, petitions you know, do not work. No, <laughs> not anymore. They don't. It is only one voice, not the thousands of people that sign it. It only means one, and that's the that's problem. Right. You guys said it right. I think it's perfect. You know, say no, be brave, show up, be vocal, be brave, be brave, and that's such a huge thing. And I think that's um, probably you guys made my day on uh, on what you just said for advocacy. I think that's that's it. And, well, you made my whole dang night anyway, just, just sitting back and talking <laughs> with me. I love it. And I'm, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I so appreciate it. And I'm really excited to, uh, you know, to see you guys again, first and foremost. But Oh, we yeah. can't wait. We need you. Yeah. So thanks again. And we will do this again when you have some news for the roundtable as well. How's that sound? Cool. Sounds great. I love it. Guys, thank you so much for popping in with me tonight. And um, oh, Thanks for having us. One thanks, other thing really quick. Anybody wants to talk to you guys, um, know how to donate, how to volunteer, how to support all of these things, go to apexprotectionproject.org. It is essential. Help them out. Help them with everything that they do, with the animals that they save, with the projects that they perform, with the education to the kids and the people. Please help them out. That's apexprotectionproject.org. Thanks so much, you guys. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kim. Bye. Bye. I want to thank my guests again, Paula Picara and Steve Wistel with Apex Protection Project. Please give them a shout. Take a look out there at their website, apexprotectionproject.org, and uh, get to know what they do a little bit more. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, NRS Rafts, Vortex Optics, and SKB Cases. I'd also like to thank you guys, the listeners, and our supporters. We can't do what we do without you. Have a great night.